We have reporting from inside the tense negotiations that could determine the future of golf. Plus, we'll check in on Netflix's latest move into live sports, lessons learned from the NBA's in-season tournament, and later we'll hear about what it takes to grow Italy's biggest soccer league in the U.S. It's Tuesday, December 12th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The PGA Tour has struck a deal with one group of investors while still negotiating with the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Senior Reporter AJ Perez. Welcome, AJ. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, great to have you on. So what are you hearing on whether the PGA Tour will ultimately strike a deal with the Public Investment Fund? It's uh, much more likely that there'll be an extension. Um, I think it's very unlikely that December 31st is the deadline. Back in June when they announced the framework, they set this December 31st deadline which is six months out or you know, a little more than that. And you're thinking, oh, that plenty of time to come to a deal. But there's so many moving parts and that five-page framework, um, you know, they needed to, that was done behind closed doors. The players were not a part of that. So the players, especially the ones on the policy board, like Tiger Woods was, like is and, and Roy McIlroy was until November, they, there was some pushback there. And that kind of really kind of things really didn't get going to the last uh, few weeks. Um, and, uh, they're, you know, they say it's moving towards, you know, it's moving towards something and most likely it's going to be an extension. Um, but even my sources over the weekend were saying it's still 50, 50. Now it's, I think the PGA tour side is much more likely to want an extension. I think there's going to be some kind of an agreement. I think we're going to see more progress over the next, uh, couple of weeks. So the end of the year towards, you know, they're going to extend it. There's still a long way to go. It's very unlikely at this point that they'll have a final deal by December 31st. I think they're going to work towards it uh, in 2024, and uh, hopefully next year, then it'll be done. Recently, we had Live Golf sign John Rahm to reported a little under $600 million. Sounds like that didn't blow things up. It was just Liv saying, you know, we're, we're still happy to poach your players, uh, but that sounds like it's more of a leverage play than a this thing's over. You could view it from my sources. You, you could view it as like they were getting frustrated by the pace of everything, and there's been... There had been talk for in you know I've heard talk for the last many weeks that you know if PIF does or Live does go with PIF money uh, using PIF money to actually lure more players over, it's it's more of a statement of how they view how slowly the negotiations have gone on the PGA side of things, and we saw that. And you know, there's not going to be the blowback there was back when Mickelson left before Live was even announced, you know, or or uh, Kepka or Johnson or others, because right now, uh, you know, Rom is taking money from Saudi Arabia, yes, but it, the you know the tour itself was going to take at least two billion dollars from PIF as part of this new commercial entity. So it's kind of there's the taint that was on a lot of the prior players for yeah for taking the money and leaving the PGA Tour. That's not really there anymore. Right. I mean, if you're going to get paid by that Saudi money one way or another, if you're a professional golfer, either directly from the source or via the PGA Tour. But it's it's the same dollars. It comes from the same original source. So yeah, the the moral argument, yeah, very different between Mickelson and Rom. Um, we also saw the PGA Tour um, has agreed to an investment with a group calling itself Strategic Sports Group, which includes uh, it's Fenway Sports Group, um, New York Mets owner Steve Cohen, Atlanta Falcons owner Arthur Blank. There's a number of others. Tom Ricketts, owner of the Cubs. Um, what does this mean in terms of you know putting this whole picture together? Yeah, I think this was needed um, because you can't really have a new commercial entity where 
all the money or a large, not would be all the money, but a large chunk of the money is going to be coming from, from Saudi Arabia. You know, there's all, there's all these issues of golf being a, you know, a very traditional historic sport in America. Have even though you, the way it's set up and PGA tour does hold the hammer when, if this deal does, you know, get done, the PGA tour will have more sway than anyone on the live side or the PIF side for that matter. This was needed, and there's been talks with Endeavor and who kind of pulled out back in November and a couple other, uh, you know, major funds, including including Liberty Media. Now they settled on this group. I think it's a great group, and I think it's there. It's also deal makers. You look at all those names, and you see that you know these these individuals have experience in negotiations. That's going to be vital to coming to a deal uh, whenever this happens or if it happens uh, with PIF and and with Live. Again, it sounds like one of those things where they get some extra leverage, they get some extra money, and if things fall apart with the PIF, at least they've they've got something here. Yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see what, how how that how if that happens. I think yeah, I, I think you're right. There's going to be some kind of you know there's going to there's going to be a, the need for some of uh, you know, some other outside money either from SSG or somewhere else. If this falls apart, it's 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 very expensive to compete with with. With a sovereign front worth five, with about eight hundred billion dollars at this point, it's, it's, so you're going to be, and they're going to be spending money. And now the PGA Tour has already spent a lot of money, elevated events to uh, to increasing um, the player support program and everything else they've done. Many millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars has already been spent to fight off live. They're going to need it to, to uh, keep that going um, for you know for at least the next two or three years uh, if this does fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. AJ Perez, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The first rendition of the NBA's in-season tournament has come and gone with the Los Angeles Lakers taking home the NBA Cup. The tournament created excitement during a part of the NBA calendar when many people are usually pretty checked out. But Commissioner Adam Silver acknowledged that there are likely to be changes going forward. Let's start with the brightly colored courts. If you watched any of the games, the court is undoubtedly the first thing you noticed. Silver seems to be a big fan, going so far as to say that we could have a more colorful version of the NBA Finals court. But many players have voiced that the courts are distracting and slippery. Another aspect under review, the points differential tiebreaker. If two or more teams have the same record going out of the group stage, the NBA looks to which team has the highest point differential to determine who moves on. The New York Knicks' Josh Hart said it led to his team running up the score on their opponents and questioned the integrity of those games. There's speculation that the league could be upping the prize money and considering a new name for the competition, perhaps one that would align with whichever broadcaster picks up the rights to the tournament. There will be tweaks. But between being able to package these games to sell to media partners and the various sponsorship opportunities it creates, the NBA just made itself billions of dollars. Netflix is once again broadcasting live sports, and we are starting to get a sense of their formula. The leading streamer has made it clear that they don't want to simply broadcast games like a traditional network because they don't see a way to do that profitably. What they are willing to do is put on a bespoke event of their own creation that ties into their existing IP. First, we had the Netflix Cup, which featured golfers and F1 drivers, most of whom one might have seen already in the Netflix docuseries Drive to Survive or Full Swing. Netflix also has a tennis docuseries, Breakpoint, and to help build excitement for that, they are putting on the Netflix Slam, which will feature a match between the best up-and-coming tennis player, Carlos Alcaraz, and 22-time Grand Slam winner, Rafael Nadal. Netflix has said that other matchups will be announced later. This will all be happening at the Michelob Ultra Arena in Las Vegas. 
The Netflix Cup was fun and silly and involved F1 drivers racing each other to their balls and golf carts. The Netflix Slam feels a little more serious. Netflix is game to broadcast live sports at the highest level, provided that they are in control of the content and that it doubles as a big Netflix commercial. Up next, I spoke to Andy Mitchell, who was tasked with growing Italy's top soccer league, Serie A, in the US. It's both a time of huge opportunity because soccer is becoming more popular here every year, but one where there is huge competition for that market from the North American domestic leagues and the other top European leagues. We talked about all that and plenty more, and that conversation is coming up next. I'm joined now by Andy Mitchell, Managing Director of Syria in the U.S. Welcome, Andy. Hey, thanks for having me, Owen. Great to be here. I'm a big fan of uh, the newsletter and the podcast, so it's uh, it's fun for me to be here with you today. So let's get to know you a little bit. You're not from a sports background. How did you end up running Syria's operations in the U.S.? Um, being a passionate soccer fan. Uh, but you're right. I don't have a traditional soccer background. Um, I played as a kid, but no, I worked at Facebook uh, for 11 and a half years in media partnerships and then CNN before that. But soccer is a media business in the same way that entertainment or news, which I worked, spent a lot of time working in. Um, so I was very lucky in that I was able to parlay my media experience into being able to think of all day and every day uh, about soccer um, and bring all my, all my passion as a fan to, to my job every single day. And is there a, um, how would you differentiate sports media from the rest of the media? Because it, ultimately it is just a competition for eyeballs. Well, I think, in, I mean, there's, there's, there's an incredible passion for sports and people have a connection to sports, like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. Uh, so I, I think we have a, we have a great head start just because again, people live, breathe, eat sports. Um, you don't necessarily, you know, get that same kind of passion around news, maybe around politics at certain times of the election cycle, but not day in and day out, you know, like we do in the soccer community. Uh, so uh, talk to me about Syria's ambitions in the U.S. Is it as simple as being as big and popular as you can here? I, I like the way you characterize that. I, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, Syria for a long time was um, a little bit under the radar here in the U.S. We were on Rye basically really only talking to Italians for about 15 years. So um, for about, over about the last four or five years, we've been much more in the game. Um, I joined about eight months ago and absolutely, um, we're looking to grow Serie A as far as viewers, awareness, um, building a little commercial business here in the US. So, you know, broadly just trying to build, uh, build the brand. And is that shift you mentioned four or five years ago, how much of it is that just a strategy shift of saying people saying there's an audience here, we should try to create it? And how much is, you know, looking at the U.S. market and saying people are actually getting interested in soccer here? You know, I'd say it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, this predates me, but um, hearing my colleagues in Italy talk about it, like the league went to sleep for about 15 years after the heyday in the 90s. And so now coming back, there's a new management team in Milan uh, running things and just you know more ambitious to be just part of the global football scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, soccer is, you know, it's growing quickly here. Uh, but at the same time, you're competing with MLS, the USL, Premier League, you know, Liga MX, La Liga. Um, how do you differentiate Serie A to people who are getting interested in soccer and football here? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something, you know, in my time here that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And I'm glad you asked me that today rather than a month ago, because I wouldn't have necessarily crystallized how I'm thinking about it. But, you know, really, um, 
and I can say this as a non-Italian, I'm, I have no Italian uh, roots, except I love the food and I've had some great vacations there. Um, but to that point, Americans love Italy. And so really, I think it's a big differentiator for us to talk about our Italian roots and our Italian heritage um, and the connection to Italy and Italian culture. In fact, um, we launched a new campaign a few months ago in collaboration with the Italian trade agency. So now Made in Italy is connected to the Serie A brand globally outside of Italy. So really trying to flex on our Italian roots. Um, there's actually a video series that is starting to roll out where we're doing features about all 20 clubs and going in depth about what's unique about the cities they're from and the history of those cities. Um, so really trying to demonstrate and you know, kind of flex on our Italian roots and Italian heritage. And does that lean you toward targeting certain areas or demographics in the U.S.? And when I think of, you know, uh, an American who loves Italy, a New Yorker is who pops into my head immediately, both because you're relatively close, but also you're you're in a you know the sort of global capital of the world. Um, uh, is that? Does that sort of reflect how you think of it, or is it more of a you know everyone in the U.S. loves Italy? I don't know about everyone in the U.S., but I think it's <laughs> yeah, broader. Like a statement. <laughs> I think it's broader than just an East Coast strategy. And if you yeah. look at our viewership on CBS Plus, it's or, I'm sorry on CBS and Paramount Plus, it really is all the major metros. So you know there are Serie A fans and people viewing Serie A, and of course New York and Boston and Chicago, but also Los Angeles, San Francisco, cities in Texas, Atlanta. So we've got you know really penetration throughout the United States, and just having friends in California, I don't feel like it is a, it's necessarily East Coast. Like all my, despite the brutal time change it is for people on the West Coast to visit Italy and to go to Europe, there's as many of them you know, traveling. And certainly, you know, uh, Alessandro Del Piero has an Italian restaurant in Los Angeles. I think there's opportunity for us to really kind of reach into cities throughout the United States. Yeah, I, I am a Californian who wouldn't mind an Italy vacation myself, so I, I can sympathize. Uh, what's worked and what hasn't worked in terms of reaching a U.S. audience? So, uh, so really, we're, we're just getting started. Like I said, I've only been here for eight months. Um, we're really trying to think about some new tactics that we can use to try and grow here. Um, we lost, just launched a weekly new email newsletter um, called Coucho Weekly. Uh, it is one of my hypotheses going in was that if you're interested in Serie A and you want to follow the league, there's not really a consistent place to find coverage. So what we've done is we aggregate content from across the world and a lot of an English language, but also we have somebody curating content um, in Italy for us to just share what the big stories are in the week. So Ryan Bailey, um, one of the hosts of the Total Soccer Show, writes that for us every week. We also have a new content series called Weekend Calcio. And for those that don't know, um, because I didn't know when I started this job, Calcio is Italian for soccer, specifically Italian soccer. Um, and so we, we just, like I said, we just launched a social series on Instagram and TikTok um, called Weekend Calcio to talk about not necessarily kind of just the highlights and a wrap up for the weekend, but what are the unique um, narratives that are coming out of each week. So you can find that on our Instagram page, um, Seria underscore North America. Are you at all worried that, you know, because every soccer league is pulling from the entire world, basically, at this point, anywhere where soccer is played, you can source talent from, and obviously the, the transfer market only adds to that. Does that cut into the narrative of this is Italian soccer and, you know, you know, come see the Italian version of this game you love? 
Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. So I'm a neurotic New Yorker, so I worry about everything. So uh, thanks for uh, helping me get more, more neurotic. Uh, <laughs> but the, um, I, I feel like there's enough to go around. And especially weekends, you know, a lot of people are flipping around looking for different, um, you know, different matches to watch. And we have great brands in the league, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter, Napoli, Roma. So just getting in the consideration set. I think really creates a big opportunity for us to grow the league. And also in the U S you know, we've been hearing it for a long time and you know, th that moment is here where the sport is just growing very quickly and with Copa America and the club world cup and then the FIFA world cup coming um, just more and more people are going to be interested in the sport. So strategically, we just want to be out there and help people understand kind of what's going on with, with soccer in Italy and remind them of the great brands and some of the great history there, while also showing them, you know, that we have a great product in the field. Last year, um, in the European competitions, we had a finalist in all three. So that really just demonstrates that, and there were no other leagues around the world that had that. So it just demonstrates that, you know, we have a incredibly strong product in Italy. Um, and just want, want more people to sample us and see what's special. Yeah. Um, and how are you sort of setting yourself up for that moment of, you know, the World Cup, but yeah, Copa America is coming and, you know, there's going to be this massive convergence of international soccer events in the U.S. Um, you, what kind of, you know, steps do you take to get ready for that moment? Well, when it, when it comes to U.S. soccer, you know, I've, in, in some ways, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. So when I started this job in April of last year, Serginho Dest was the only American that was playing in the league. And over the course of the summer, we brought in arguably four of the best, if not four of the best players that play in U.S. soccer, including Christian Pulisic. So demonstrating to Americans a connection between Americans and U.S. soccer and the team that they're going to be cheering for in all these international competitions and the fact that they're playing in Italy for two of the greatest brands in the history of soccer between Juventus and AC Milan. Um, that, I think, gives us a real running start in, to get in the game. In terms of the sorts of projections that that we're looking at, I mean, we keep hearing soccer is growing in the U.S. Um, is there anything more concrete you can, can put to that uh, that sort of shows that, you know, this is going to be a sport that competes, you know, with the some of the big four in the U.S.? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think we're already there. If I, the data that I see in front office sports and in other publications certainly showcases the fact that, you know, soccer is on par, certainly with the NHL and probably growing faster than any other, any other sport. Um, and then I've read some data and some projections. It's actually historical data that when the World Cup uh, is in a country, interest in the sport grows by 10x. So retention will be a problem. All those people are not going to necessarily stay interested in the sport coming out of the World Cup, but some significant percentage of them will. So I think that will be a real step change for the sport here in the U.S. and a lot, a big opportunity for Serie A, but also for all the international and domestic leagues playing here. Yeah, and actually, I did want to ask before I kind of framed it as you're in competition with MLS, the Premier League, et cetera. I'm wondering if... You know, if someone gets interested, especially in a European league like the Premier League, if that can actually help you because, you know, you're you're, you're already interested in the sport, in a sport across the Atlantic. So maybe you're already handling the time change on some level. Um, do, you, do you think those fans can be, you know, major targets for you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, 
the old cliche, a rising tide lifts all boats. So we're going to be one of the boats that's going to lift on that rising tide. And again, knowing um, the relationship that Americans have with Italy, the great brands we have, the Americans we have playing in the league, I feel, I'm very confident that we will take at least the share or at least our share, if not a greater percentage of the pie. What should we expect from from Syria in the U.S. Uh, as as you kind of move forward to um, to grow this league? Yeah, so a big a big focus of mine certainly starting next year. Um, in fact, we just posted a job for an editorial manager is creating more content. I think ultimately content across social, um, really continuing to invest in our email newsletter. YouTube, um, Serie A has the number one league in the world on YouTube. Um, so really just creating more content that's interesting to American audiences. And a lot of that is going to be focused on Italian culture and the connection between calcio and culture. Um, if you think about Italian culture between food and fashion and travel and industry, you know, really focusing on how calcio connects to each of those different parts of Italian culture. Because, you know, across all those different cultural vectors, you can you get a large percentage of Americans, if not all Americans, that may have some engagement across each of those different you know, pieces. So just looking at the breadth of um, uh, Italian culture and in, in, in industry, and really just try and focus on that as a way to bring in new viewers. Andy Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Cool, great to be here. I'm ready for my newsletter this afternoon. So uh, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Subscribe to the show. We have some great interviews and fun end of year stuff on the horizon. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.